Good morning, church. Welcome to WFR. So glad you guys are here. Oh, look at Carbo over here. So I'm glad to see that mom got Howard Carbo down to the second row. You're so close to coming forward. You're just one step away. I've been trying for 40 years to get him down front, and he's so close. Dad, just nudge him a little at the end. Get him there. It's good to have a Texan turn into a Louisianan. We're glad to have Carbo back. Yeah, that's worthy of applause. I love the announcements today. What a place to come home to. Amen? I came home 40 years ago, uh, and this place welcomed me in. And my theme was, after all these years, I always wanted to be a part of a place that had open arms for people to come home. So it's great to hear that message continue on. Welcome to our live stream audience as well as our fellowship center as well. What a blessing it is to be together today. Amen. Lisa and I have been uh, traveling the fruited plains and we still got more to go. Just to let you know we're your missionaries as we go out. We'll be in Lord willing. We'll be in Greenville, South Carolina this week. There's an organization there that they come and they, so kids go to school, middle school and high school, and they have a program where they're allowed to go and study the Word of God for school credit off-site at a nearby church and then go back. Isn't that great that that goes on in the United States of America? I had no idea. But that's worthy of applause, yeah. <laughs> happening in several states, apparently, but it's happening in this county, and so we're going to help them raise some money for that, so I'm super excited about that. We'll be in Toledo, Ohio, on the National Day of Prayer, along with a lot of other people giving honor to God. And then we're going to be in Leesburg, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, which needs a lot of help. And uh, we'll be talking about marriage, over a thousand couples gathering to hear about the word of God. So God is doing great things. Please remember us in your prayers uh, as we travel, uh, just that, you know, God gives us strength, but also the words to be your envoys, your missionaries, uh, as we go out and we do the will of God. Christian Lowry, would you come on up here? We've got a young man who's a freshman. Says here he loves football and making people laugh. Well, so do I. So I like this guy already. Uh, he's going to share with us some scripture this morning. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thank you, Christian. Well, Christian's got a good speaking voice, doesn't he? He may have a, may have a pulpit future ahead of him. That was from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. The full life promised. When we go through the gate, who is Jesus? Last week, uh, Mike wrapped up First Peter, uh, which is, we've been calling it a fisherman's diary because it's really, you know, this guy that uh, really is a lot like you and I that wrote this, uh, wrote a couple of fantastic letters. We're going to get to Second Peter shortly. Uh, but I love last week's lesson because, you know, as we look at the life of Peter, we see that he's an elder uh, when we get to First Peter 5, and he's sharing with other elders and I love just see the advancement of his life and what God has done in his life. And he's looking forward to that chief shepherd as he speaks to the shepherds and then makes a great challenge for us, right? 
And so we've talked about that. What happens when a person witnesses the resurrection of Christ and then they witness their own new birth, which in itself is a resurrection? Amen. And it changes us and it gives us the ability to do things we never thought were possible. But because of God, they become possible. And so Peter wrote in First Peter 1 and verse 3, as we started that great study, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And how do you do that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he knew that wisdom and he saw it. His own new birth. And it came through the resurrection of Christ. We talked about him being an unschooled and ordinary commercial fisherman. I mean, just a guy. And and we looked at him in Luke 5 and how that came to be. And he was described as this normal person. And as he was described that, the people that noticed that said they were astonished and they took note that these men, Peter and John, had spent time with Jesus. So if you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you know, I seem rather unschooled and ordinary, but I spend time with Jesus, that's going to make you exceptional. And that's what happened with Peter, right? We know that he was a man with limitations, and he saw it. When Jesus got into that boat with him, Luke chapter 5, he immediately recognized when he saw the power of Christ that he did not measure up. And that's not a bad thing. When I look Jesus Christ in the face, I realize I don't measure up, right? And that's what Peter did. He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And what did Jesus say? Oh, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to change you, Peter. You're going to understand when you look into my face, you're going to have confidence. You're going to understand the new birth, and you're going to understand the resurrection. And so he saw that, and there was potential there, and we knew that. We talked about him getting out of that boat and walking on water just even for a minute. He showed that he had the capacity to trust, even if then he looked and he doubted, as many of us do. We know that he was the kind of man that could hit a home run and strike out with equal enthusiasm, right? In other words, a person that we could all relate to, right? A person that says, Lord, no matter what happens, I'll never leave you. I'll lay down my life for you. And a few hours later, he would deny him three times. And we can't throw rocks at Peter because we've been there, right? So strong, so so loving, and then blow it so big. We understand that. And we understand the power of Christ. Today I want to go back to Matthew chapter 16. And there was a point Mike and I talked about on Easter Sunday I want to go back and, and this week and next week, we want to flesh out because this is, this is predicted by Jesus as one of the biggest things that would ever happen. And I'm not sure that Peter understood in the moment how big it was going to be, but we're going to look at it today. And it was huge. And not just for him, but also for us. So remember in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 15, when Jesus was asking about who people said he was, and he was getting all sorts of answers. He said, well, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's Simon Peter 
who looks at the situation, who listens to everything that's been said, and who says these words, which were powerful and ultimately would be life-changing, not just for Peter, but for all of us. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one we've been looking to. And you're the one who can save us. That's what that statement means. And Jesus honored that statement by saying, Blessed or blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, you didn't learn that. You learned that from being with me, right? But by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which is probably why he nicknamed him the rock. And on this rock, this confession, this realization, this honoring, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, Hades will not overcome it. And you know why the gates of Hades will not overcome this kingdom? Because of something he said later, Jesus, in Revelation 1.18. He told John there, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's why I will never overcome. So he looks at Peter and he says, I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what a statement. Can you imagine if someone told you that? I mean, I've been given a lot of things in my life, some things that were pretty important to some people, but nobody has ever said, I'm going to hand you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Would you accept it? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm not sure Peter understood in this moment how important this moment was. Because what was happening in this moment is Jesus is predicting what was predicted way back in Daniel chapter 2, that the Son of Man would come, that the kingdom of heaven would be established in this generation of the Romans, and this would be a game changer forever. And this one man, this denier, this man who at one moment could be bold in speaking truth and the next moment could be speaking on behalf of Satan would be the one who holds the key that would open the gate. Would he be ready for the moment? So there's three conversations that prep Peter to unlock the kingdom gate. One of them we've mentioned already, and that was from John 21. And by the way, if you're wondering about your own entrance into the kingdom of God, these are three conversations that are good for any of us. The first one in John 21 was that idea of confession and restoration. You remember that was after, of course, you know, Jesus had raised from the dead and they went out and Peter jumped out of the boat and he swam to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus has this conversation and he asked him three times, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep. And in that moment, there's a restoration. But there's also a confession, because three times he had denied him. And now three times he's saying, I'm going from a denier to a supplier. I will feed your sheep. And he made a full commitment 
to Christ. In other words, what he was saying was, are, are you all in? Because he even told him, you're going to die because of the cause. He gives them that clue. And so think about it. All the years of ministry and all the years of Peter's life and everything he did, he remembers in the back of his mind what Jesus told him on this day. The ultimate cost of you doing what I've asked you to do will be your life. You will be led by someone else to your death. Now, all of us sitting here today know we're going to die. But it's one thing to be told exactly how it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And that Peter knew. And yet he said, I'm in. That was the first conversation that prepared him. The second one was in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Because he had to know, what is my core goal? Where do I fall back to? Because things are going to get murky I mean, ministry is difficult. People have problems. That's the way it's going to be. But when everything gets going sideways, what do I go back to? And here was Jesus' words in Matthew 28. He told all the apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. No matter what happens, there's your reset button. It's always about me. It's always about making disciples. It's always about going forward. You have to know where your core is, or you lose your way. So am I willing to go all in? Do I know where my core is? So that I never lose my way. And then the third conversation comes from Acts chapter 1. And that's where we're going to wind up in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And this was a conversation about patience. And about power. And about purpose. And about where they would go. In other words, this conversation was about action. How do I get started? So many people come into the church and into the kingdom of God and they say, well, you know, this is great, but I don't know what to do first. I need to, I need some action. I need to know what I need to leave and where I need to go. How do I start? Sometimes the most difficult step is what? The first one. Let's go. So here's what he said in verse four. While he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command, Acts chapter one. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. That's one of the hardest things to be told to do, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait on anything. It seems like every line I get in at the grocery store, every line at the bank is always the wrong line. Why is that? I'm married to a woman who can't leave places. And I love her to death. Why is that? Because God's teaching me I need to learn how to wait. She can't leave. Wait for the gift my father promised. It's the first thing he tells them to do. So this is your first action step. What is it? Okay, Lord, we're ready. What do we do? Wait. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in a few days, it's coming. 
You're not going to wait long, but wait. He's teaching them something. Then they gathered around him and they asked him (laughs) one last time, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But it wasn't as bad as it has been in the past because they're almost right. And almost from God's perspective, because he sees Israel a lot different than they do, it's not that bad of a question. But they're still looking to good old physical Israel, that little strip of land that's right there next to the Mediterranean Sea, the same thing people are doing today. When God's view of Israel is way bigger, the kingdom of heaven is way bigger. Lord, is this it? And look what he says to him. In the past, he kind of rebuked him. This time he just says, look, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority. You don't need to worry about that. Oh, man, I wish people would read this verse a lot today, you eschatology people. You talking about worried about the end times. You don't need to worry about that. God's got that. He knows when it's going to end. He knows when it began. So, Jesus, what do we need to worry about? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You need to be worried about the Holy Spirit and following his lead. Woo! Boy, if I could speak to religious leaders today and give them a unifying message, it would be quit worrying about the end times and start listening to the Holy Spirit and being a witness of what God has done, leading people to Christ. That will make the difference. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right there where you start, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He gives them the proximity of exactly how this is going to go. Now, that's not going to go smoothly, which we'll talk about more next week. But he tells them exactly what to expect. You wait. Holy Spirit's going to come. When he comes... You're going to know what to do. And when you do it, get ready because you're going to be my witnesses. And this thing is going to be amazing. And so that's what happens. Now, I need you to imagine for the rest of this lesson a couple of things. I want you to imagine that Peter, in this interim time here of waiting, because just a few days in Acts chapter 1, That as he's digging through some old fishing supplies, he finds this big old key. And he's not exactly sure what it's for, but something inside of him says it's important. So he ties it around his neck and he puts it inside his robe. Because he knows one day this key is going to do something really important. Can you imagine that for me? Can you see that in your mind's eye? Can you wake up your neighbor and tell him to just imagine So the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 finally shows up. And it's a big deal. It's a powerful wind. There's tongues of fire. They're on top of the apostles. And then something amazing happens. They begin to speak languages that they did not study and do not know naturally. And there's all these people that have come for the day of Pentecost that are there. There's Jews from all over. And they're hearing them speak and praise God in their own language. 
And so while it's chaotic because you got all these different languages being spoken, to some it's so specific because you're hearing it in your tongue. Amazing. So you know what happens when something like this happens? A crowd gathers. Because this is a happening. First it's a big win. Then it's this commotion. Then it's these languages. And then people start saying, who are these people? Ah, it's a bunch of Galileans. I don't know what's going on. Something's happening here. So now I want you to imagine the second thing. As all this happening, imagine that a giant set of gates appears right behind where all this is going on. And you can't see anything past it. It's just massive, huge gates with a big old keyhole right there. And there's Peter in front of it with all these languages and everything going on. There's this crowd of people, and they're standing there looking at it, bewildered, wondering, what do we do next? Behind those walls and behind that gate, it's so big it could be a mountain It could be a city back there. It could be thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It could be the spirits of righteous men and women made perfect. The very presence of God could be behind those gates, along with Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. All those in the hall of fame from Hebrews 11 gathered, waiting for the gates to be opened. Verse 12 of Acts 2, amazed and perplexed, this crowd asked each other, what does this mean? What does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them. There's always going to be some, right? People make fun of what they can't understand or debate. They've had too much wine. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm speaking to White's Ferry Road crowd. We've had some people with some alcohol issues in the past, right? You've seen some drunk people before. Have you ever heard a drunk person speak a language they never understood or studied? <laughs> Slur is not a language. <laughs> Makes no sense. So now imagine that Peter says, ah, I get it. And so he pulls out that key, and he sticks it into that keyhole, and he turns it. And in verse 14, Peter stands up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He now knows what that key is for. All of that history, all of that prophecy, he now knows it's his time to open the kingdom, open the gates for everyone. And the first thing he does is give a joke. This is a joke. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's a joke. I speak for a living. I know. What he's saying is, is come on, guys. Nine in the morning, you think it's, I heard you. This isn't about drinking. This is about something powerful that's happening. I love how he acknowledges the naysayers right off the bat. 
And then he quotes a prophecy from Joel chapter 2, where twice it's mentioned that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out one day. And that when that happens, that all people will have an opportunity to call on the name of God to be saved. And so now Peter's rolling. And people are like, hmm, I'd like to hear more. So now the lock is turned and the gates begin to creak just a bit. They're starting to open. In verse 22, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Now he's got their attention. By the way, now we're in one voice that everybody can understand. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you... With the help of wicked men, some versions say those not having the law, meaning the Gentiles, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now we got everybody's attention. He starts out with the humanity of Jesus. You notice that? Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man. He came from a place. And here's what you did to him. Everybody here has a role in the story. And what I love about what Peter does is even though these people did have a direct application into what happened to Jesus, this moment is for all of us. Whether you were standing in that crowd saying crucify him or not, everyone had a role in Jesus going on to that cross if you sinned. This speaks to all of us. So not only does he get the attention of the crowd in that day, he gets the attention of everybody that's ever lived. You put him to death. And he also appeals to God's awareness. He says, look, this was a plan of God by foreknowledge. This didn't happen by accident. Now, I'm sure everybody has gotten very quiet at this moment. And then he says two words in Acts 2.24 that change everything. And they've changed everything since the beginning of time. But God. Here's what you did. Here's what you thought you did. But God. The I am who I am. God. The God of the impossible. God. The God of all things known. Of all power. Of immortality, that God. The God who calls things that are not as though they were, that God. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He goes right to the resurrection. This is the game changer. And now it's totally silent. And now he's going to do something brilliant. He's going to quote a person they would know oh so well, King David, who a thousand years earlier has predicted that this is going to happen. 
He says, David said about him, and he quotes Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. A great psalm by David. And then he says the obvious. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. I can show you where it is. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing was was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. Uh-oh, he said the M-word. Now this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah because he was raised from the dead. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it. We saw it. Game changer. And then he does something even more amazing. Not only did God raise him from the dead, but he says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has poured out what we now see and hear. So if you want to know where this is coming from, it's right out of heaven by the same Jesus who resurrected, who now stands at the right hand of the Father. And he said, you know who predicted that? The same David. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet said in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus even quoted that verse. Who was David talking about? He was talking about me. Now these people are perplexed because they know it's true. Wow. David predicted this. This is the real deal. God's plan was to bring the Messiah to Israel. Their sin and our sin would condemn him to death on a cross. Jesus was predicted to be resurrected by David, but also predicted to ascend and be exalted and to pour out his Holy Spirit and to rule until his return. That was the message. And now the kingdom gate opens for all to see. And then he's going to bring it home in verse 36. That's what we call it in the business, bringing it home. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Drop the mic. That's him. Everything we've been looking to, everything we need for salvation is in Christ. And now the gates are wide open. The church of this same Jesus is ready to be born. It's ready to go into the kingdom of heaven and be a part of this great revolution for all time now. Holy Spirit being available for all. And now there's a pause because what's going to happen next? I speak to crowds all around the country. And you always wonder at the end, what are they going to do with what you said? We're going to find out later when we get to Acts chapter 7. Stephen, man, he preached a, a stem winder of a sermon. You know what they did at the end of it? They killed him. 
You never know how a crowd's going to respond. Here's how they responded. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what, what do we do? What do we do? You remember when you were there? Well, I do. It's been 40 years. I can't remember anything from 40 days. Barely 40 minutes ago, to be perfectly honest. But I remember crystal clear 40 years ago when I was cut to the heart and I said, what do I need to do to get my life right? You remember that? If you don't, you need to be listening. Peter said, repent, change, be different, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from old to new. From dead to alive, from lost to having a Lord. That's what he told them. You can be changed, and now you can be led by the Holy Spirit. That's why this day was so different. That's who our Jesus is. And then he said, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That would be us. Well, almost. Because we got to reopen this gate next week. There's my tease to come back next week. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them. And he pleaded with them. Who was he pleading with and warning? Well, you know, remember those ones who said, these guys are drunk. Probably some of them. Not everybody was probably cut to the heart. 3,000 were. With every crowd, there's some that don't want to believe. And you know what? All we can do is plead and warn and tell them about what's happening and what's coming. Save yourselves, he says, from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. 3,000 were added to the number that day. And Christ's church was born and went right through those gates into the kingdom of heaven. And it changed everything. Because now the Holy Spirit was available for all. And Peter was the man who unlocked the gates. See, so what does all that mean for us, Al? That's great, man. That's encouraging, inspiring. It's exciting. What does it mean to me? Well, two things that I got out of this. One is... If he used Peter to unlock the gate to the kingdom of heaven, what could he do with me? Anything. I mean, do you believe that? Just a fisherman who spent some time with Jesus. And look at the opportunity that he got. The story of Jesus changes people in amazing ways to do amazing things. If not Peter, why not me? And the second thing is that the gates of kingdom 
were open to the actual people who yelled, crucify him, then why wouldn't it be available to me today? Is my sin any worse than yelling to crucify the Son of God and the Son of Man? All of our sin put him on that cross because he chose to be there. You see, it's not that Peter was the one who had the blessing to open the gates. It's because Jesus allowed the gates to be open for us to receive the Spirit of God. And that's the opportunity we have today. And if you've never embraced that message, and you've never been cut to the heart to say, I need to submit myself to Christ, you need to submit yourself to Christ. I'm going to warn And I'm going to plead with you today to do that and save yourselves from a corrupt generation. Because I can promise you 2023 has plenty of corruptness in the generation. And plenty of the enemies of God. But what we have now is a gate that stands wide open. And an opportunity to live by the Spirit of God. To be changed and to be different. Do you want that? Do you want to live by that? If you have a need today to either become a son or daughter of the Almighty or a need that this church can help you with, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?